And uh, we started last week just a little mini-series, and today is uh, February 14th. Uh, Our whole life, my wife and I, our whole life changed uh, 31 years ago yesterday when uh, God gave us our first child, and uh, children came into our lives. But, you know, it's, it's just been neat to see uh, the love of God over the years, and God just led me to this portion of Scripture uh, dealing in 1 Corinthians 13. Last week I started it, and I called it last week a superior love. Tonight uh, I, w- I want to move on. We, ch- we covered verses 1, 2, and 3 last week. T- tonight we're going to look at verses 4, 5, and the beginning of verse number 6, and Lord willing, next week we will conclude chapter 13 all the way to, to verse number 13 of this chapter, which is the remainder of it. But let me just give you a little update, uh, a, a little background as we launch out tonight. Uh, many people call this chapter the love chapter. Uh, and really failing to understand what the premise behind 1 Corinthians 13 really is. Last week I mentioned in those first three verses that this matter of, of love is God's greatest gift to the church. And when you study what John wrote in the Bible, he said, God is love. So in a sense, the greatest gift that God gave to the church, to us, is love. But think about it, if God is love, then God gave to the church himself. We need to understand God's love and it's so very important that we do that. Now, if you look, and I mentioned last week, chapters 12 in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 mentions what oftentimes are called the spiritual gifts. Those gifts are given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. Those gifts are given to us so that we can mature and that we, as Bible-believing Christians, can help to edify the body, that we can use those gifts to encourage the saints. And God has given to each one of us, and I pray that you have spent some time in that chapter thinking about the gifts that God has given to you. Now, there's a misunderstanding many times uh, when you get to chapters 13 and 14, because uh, many times we look at these chapters and we see what are oftentimes referred to as temporary sign gifts, different than the pneumatikos that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. So we need to understand all this because as we left off last week talking about this matter of love, that without love we are nothing, without love we can expect nothing, and without love we can accomplish nothing. And we need God's love. So here in chapter 13, let's move on tonight. Look at verse number 4. What's the first word in verse number 4? Charity. Now watch this. Charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in what? The truth. Now, as you think about this, these couple verses we just read here tonight, If you started with a blank canvas and maybe you took out a uh, piece of charcoal or maybe a pencil and you began to sketch out what God is describing here as love, uh, I see a beautiful picture that God is painting here in this sketch of love. The Apostle Paul, God allows 
uh, to record, I think, a, a very in-depth description of what love is. We, we who have the Word of God, and aren't you glad tonight that you do have God's Word? When you look at it, what you're looking at tonight, and, and we'll get, get into it even more next week, is we're looking at the very characteristics of biblical love. We understand the world has a totally different concept of love. But tonight, we're talking about God's kind of love. We're talking about biblical love. And I think all of us need to be reminded, maybe that's why the Lord led me here uh, at this uh, juncture of this year, to remind us about these truths that we continually need to understand the love of God. So Paul is showing us the many sides of true, godly, biblical love tonight. And that's what we want to look at. We're just going to dissect this chapter, and it's very important that we understand it. Now, he, he's kind of taking this matter of love as if it were some great and brilliant diamond. And what Paul is doing is he's taking that, that diamond and he's holding it up before us so that we can see all the many facets of that particular diamond. I mean, I'm not an expert. Uh, I remember years ago when my wife and I, we were uh, thinking about getting engaged, getting married, and then, and then I think it was our fifth anniversary, uh, we, uh, we decided that we were going to go back. I wanted to get her, I, I actually wanted to get her a ring that, that actually said, I love you. The one I gave her when I got married, it was about all I could do. I, I don't know how many boxes of Cracker Jacks I had to look through to find that one, but uh, it had a real diamond on it. You just had to get out a very high-powered telescope to try to find it, but it was on there. And uh, I remember when we went into the, the uh, jeweler, the jeweler began to explain to us all these different cuts on diamonds, the different kinds. I didn't realize, you know, round diamonds and marquee diamonds and all these different types of diamonds. And uh, my, my wife, we ended up getting her one that's called a princess cut diamond. And it's amazing how when light goes through those diamonds, how it reflects and all the different cuts and you can see things. And I think when you look at uh, the Word of God, look, many times we read 1 Corinthians 13, but we really don't hold it up in the light and see the many facets of what God's love is really all about. And that's what I want to look at tonight because it's, it's important that, that as Paul is trying to show us here, he's revealing to us the person of God in each one of those gleams of light from the surface of love. So look tonight in your outline there, first of all, love's chief concerns. Love's chief concerns. Now, you study the life of Paul before he got saved. And how many of you, you probably have spent some time studying the man known as Saul of Tarsus, right? I think we're all familiar with what Paul's life was prior to him getting saved. And like many of us, uh, we, we didn't have the love in our hearts for God and for others the way we do now when we first got saved. You know, it was all about us, wasn't it? It was about all of us loving ourselves. But when you think about Paul's life, love wasn't one of Paul's strong suits. The truth is that before Paul got saved, he had a lot of blood on his hands. But I, I guarantee if there ever was a Christian who's glad for the fact that the blood of Jesus atones for all of our sins, it's the Apostle Paul, uh, thinking about all that he did before he got saved. But like many of us, Paul had, has come a long way 
as he is writing to these folks in Corinth, and he's been growing in grace, and he's seeing spiritual fruit in his life. He's seeing people being saved. And, you know, when Paul's thinking about himself, he's thinking about this matter of love. Now, there's a lot of different versions of the Bible out there, and you may have a different version than what our church uses. Our church has always been a King James version of the Bible church, but a lot of folks that have come to our church use a different version. I never put someone down, make fun of somebody. I believe that, that every Bible has some truth in it, but I believe that God's Word is in the King James Version of the Bible. And as we study God's Word, have you ever thought about this? Sometimes you're reading it, and you see the Bible use the word love. The translators translated it as L-O-V-E. But when you come to chapter 13, you actually see the word what? Charity. Now, again, I don't think there's any errors in the Word of God. Uh, but have you ever thought about that? Why? Because if you study it out in the original language, where the word love is used, guess what Greek word it is? Agape. And where the word charity is used, guess what Greek word it is? Agape. So, you know, a lot of times I, when I see something like that, it causes me to want to dig in the Word of God, to search the Scriptures, to see why that is so. Because the King James Bible uses the word charity sometimes instead of the word love. As a matter of fact, it uses charity, the word charity, 29 times to translate the word agape. Every other place in the King James Version, it uses the word love to translate the very same word agape. Now, why the difference, all right? This is just a Wednesday night Bible study. Is that okay if we study the Word of God tonight, all right? Uh, now, we, we want to understand this because here it is, is as I begin to study this out, what's the difference between a God, this matter of, of love and charity? Why did they use this? And what you have to study is, and I mentioned this last week, context. You see, we have to study the Word of God in the context that God gave it. Uh, that's why I think a lot of people uh, struggle, and I'm just going to use this as an example tonight. Uh, I don't mean to offend anyone, but the word is in the Bible, the word tongues. And a lot of people misunderstand what the Bible's talking about when it mentions tongues, and here's why. is because they lift something about tongues out of the context that it's in, and then what they end up doing is they, it ends up twisting the understanding, the meaning, or the exegesis of that particular word. What we need to do is keep it in the very context of how God gave it. You, you with me tonight? It's very important we understand this because, look, God's not the author of confusion. That's the devil. God does everything decently and in order, okay? So when you study the Word of God, here's what you find is, is that the use of the word charity and the use of the word love. Now, here's, here's, here's what it is, okay? When the word agape is used in the context of vertical action, okay? Now, some of, you, some of us might be directionally challenged. Is this vertical or is this vertical? Yes, all right? Okay, so now watch this, because I want you to think about this. When agape is used in the context of vertical, in other words, God to man or man to God, it is translated as love. 
So in other words, when the word agape, when the translators were using the word of God as they were translating God's word, when, when the word love was used, in other words, God's love for us or our love for God, see the horizontal right there, okay? It was translated as love. But there are 27 instances where instead of using the word love, they used the word charity, which is what we're finding here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now watch this. That's not this way, which is what? Vertical. It's what? Horizontal. Now watch this. God's up here, right? So that means it's man's relationship with his neighbor, with his brother, and so on. Are you with me? So when you think about 1 Corinthians 13, it's talking about, now by the way, look here, if this relationship is right between us and God, then this relationship between us and man will be right. Okay? See, a lot of people wonder why people don't love them. If, if, if you're right with God, guess what? Whether they love you or not, you'll love them. How could Paul love people the way he did? Because he had a love for God. Okay? Now, a lot of times what we want to do is we want to focus on the human side of things, the phileo type of love. Hey, listen, I'm all about loving your brother, but I'm more interested in loving God than I am in loving my brother. I won't have a problem loving someone else. I can say with all honesty tonight that I have no hatred or bitterness in my heart, no, nothing in my heart towards anybody, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian tonight. Now, there might be some folks that I don't particularly care for. I'm not talking about in the church, but guess what? I don't have aught against them. I don't hate them. What is Jesus? He tells us to love everybody. Now, when you think about this, it's important for us to understand because, again, that this, this agape love that God gives, this horizontal action, man towards his neighbor or his enemy, is translated as what word? Charity. Okay. Now, with that in mind, look at letter A. Because love's chief concern is that you and I would be Christ-like in our suffering. Christ-like in our suffering. Look at verse 4, the beginning of the verse. It says, charity suffereth long. Now watch this. Look here. The word's charity. Is that, is that talking about me and God? No, it's talking about me and others, right? Now watch this. Because many times we struggle with other people. But if we have the right kind of love for God then we will have the right kind of love for others. And it says, charity suffereth long. Here's another great word for that, patience. Uh, listen, I must have stepped out of line when God gave out patience. But here's what he's saying when he says, charity suffereth long. Patience is a love that understands. It's a love that will wait. Many times we struggle with waiting. The literal meaning of this word here is long-tempered. This characteristic of love reveals the truth that love does not retaliate. Here's, here's a great example. Acts 7, Stephen. Stephen is a choice servant of God, and Stephen honestly hasn't done anything wrong other than tell people about the Lord, and guess what? They, they are gnashing on him with their teeth. They stoned Stephen. He died a martyr's death. Did he ever retaliate? No. As a matter of fact, he did the exact same thing Jesus did 
when Jesus hung on the cross. Look what Jesus said in Luke 23, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. Folks, you know what that is? That's charity. Charity that suffereth long. The Bible says of Jesus over in the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so openeth not his mouth. He never said a word. He never retaliated. Jesus had this kind of love that charity suffereth long. This kind of love endures all kinds of attacks. I read a true account about Abraham Lincoln. One of Lincoln's most outspoken political enemies was a man by the name of Edwin Stanton. Stanton called Lincoln, this is exactly what he called him, a low, cunning clown, and he called Lincoln the original gorilla. That's what he called him. He even said, it is ridiculous for people to go to Africa to see a gorilla when they can find one easily in Springfield, Illinois. That's how low and what he thought of Lincoln. But here's the thought. To Lincoln's credit, Abraham Lincoln never responded to these insults. When he was elected president, Lincoln chose Stanton to be his secretary of war. When he, asked, when he was asked why, Lincoln said, because he's the best man for the job. Later, when Lincoln had been assassinated, Stanton stood by the coffin of Abraham Lincoln, and there was his body, and Stanton stood there like a little baby, crying, tears running down his face. And here's what he said about this man he called a gorilla. He said, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. How could that change happen in Stanton's heart? Because patient love in action won him over. See, charity suffereth long. See, we need to be Christ-like in our suffering. But look at love's chief concern, secondly, is that we would be Christ-like in our sympathy. Christ-like in sympathy. Because he says here that charity suffereth long and is kind. Now, there's a great word right there. Because this word refers to active goodness that goes forth on the behalf of others. Active goodness that goes forth on the behalf of others. See, genuine love is never hateful. Genuine love is never mean to someone else. It respects others. It actually reaches out to others. When I thought about this matter of how love is kind, charity is kind, is I thought about David. Remember all that Saul did or tried to do to David? And you, as soon as David ascends the throne, one of the very first things that David did was he sought out the relatives of Saul. And he found a boy named Mephibosheth. And he brought him into his home just like he was one of his own. That's what the Bible means when it says charity is kind. That's the kind of uh, people we need to be. I read an account again, and I've seen so many, but the people in Africa still speak 
kindly about David Livingston. They didn't really understand him, but they felt the love that beat in Livingston's heart for them. The supreme example of this kind of love is the love of God for us. You think about how kind God is to people that really treat him the way that they do. The Bible says in John 1, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. They brutally uh, murdered the Son of God. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4, Or despiseth thou, look at this, the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So when I think about love's chief concern, this whole matter of charity, our relationship with each other, I think about how that God gives us a great example in himself that God is love and that God wants us to be Christ-like in our suffering and he wants us to be Christ-like in our sympathy. That's love's chief concern. But as he moves on in verse number four, notice secondly, he gives us love's charming contentment. Love's charming contentment. You'll see what Paul is writing here, what God wants us to understand, because you think about what he's saying here is this matter of being content. So many people today are discontent with the life that they have. But a content person, you know who they are? They're someone that's happy. You know, there's someone that is fulfilled in life. There's someone that's satisfied. Why? Because they understand the love of God. So look, what, look how he starts here in verse number four. Let's read on. He says, charity envieth not. First thing he says about this charming contentment of love is that love is never envious. Love is never envious. True love is not jealous over abilities or possessions of another. That's not true love. Instead of being jealous when others prosper or others excel, love is pleased when people do well. You know, look, you hear about somebody getting a promotion, you ought to say, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. But so many times people are jealous. Hey, look, you look in the Bible. Wasn't it jealousy that put Daniel in the lion's den? Boy, they were jealous because Daniel was placed over uh, everyone else. But listen, he didn't put himself there. God allowed that to happen. How about Joseph? What put Joseph in the pit? Jealousy. So many people envy what other people have. Hey, the best way to deal with envy or jealousy is to crucify it and begin to actively pray and support the one whose gift and success you covet. Did you hear what I said? Listen, you start praying and you give it to God and you crucify that, that, that thought or that, that attitude that you have towards someone else. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to start to see love in action in your own heart because love is not envious. Look at the second thing. You think about contentment when it comes to love. Love is not only envious, it's also, secondly, it's never egotistical. Look at verse 4 again. He says, charity vaunteth not itself. It vaunteth not itself. You know what that means? Love isn't pushy. Love isn't pushy. It does not, the word means this, it does not make a parade. Love, love doesn't have to brag. 
be braggadocious. It doesn't have to draw its attention to itself, uh, to what it is doing. A person who must be the center of attention is hurt when they're not. You ever see that? They, would, they, they just have to be the center of attention. And when people don't pay attention to them, you know, it's like my, my daughter's here and she's got two beautiful little girls and, and, and the oldest one has started to discover that sometimes the baby gets all the attention and then when that happens, she does something to cause us to, to see, hey, look at me, I'm over here, don't forget about me, you know? And that's the way some people are. Look, love is never egotistical, it's not pushy. And how about this, in verse number four, he says, charity is not puffed up, not puffed up. The word puffed up, I think we can all understand this, it means to be inflated. And, and love doesn't inflate itself. A person who has exaggerated the idea of themselves is a person that, that is trying to draw attention to themselves. Love is not arrogant, proud. It realizes that all that it has and all that it is has been given to them by God. And that's the truth. All that we are, no matter how great our talents or how spectacular our gifts, everything that we are, you know what it is? It's the result of God's divine grace. So he says here, look, love isn't egotistical. Charity vaunteth not itself. And he says, charity is not puffed up. Let her see, look at this, love is never eccentric. He's, he goes right on down this list here. Verse number five, charity doth not behave itself unseemly. Now, you know what that one means? That's an easy one. That means that it has good manners. Charity has good manners. Love isn't rude. It doesn't treat others uh, poorly, rudely. It treats people with compassion, with consideration, with respect. Look, love controls the emotions. It's not friendly one day and rude the next. Genuine love always makes Jesus look good. That's what it does. Having the right kind of love. And look, love is not eccentric. It does not behave itself unseemly. We're just going right on down. Verse 5 not right now. Look at letter D. Love is never exacting. Love is never exacting. It says in verse 5, charity seeketh not her own. True love is never selfish, self-centered. It's actively interested in what will profit others. And that's what I love is when people get their eyes off of themselves and they see the needs of other people. You know, that's what Jesus did. He came to seek and save that which was lost. His whole life, his whole ministry here on this earth wasn't for him. He came not to be ministered to, but to minister. When we take our eyes off of ourselves and we put it on others and how we can help others, you see, love is something that does not seek her own. It never looks at itself first. It always considers another ahead of itself. Remember the story, I think it was a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning, I preached about Abraham and Lot. You remember how they had been blessed? They had all these cattle. They had all these herdmen. And they were starting to be a little bit of a problem there because there was, they were so blessed. And remember, Abraham, he, he, he said, look, he says, Lot, he says, why don't you choose? Now, he could have easily, he was uncle. 
He could have said, I'm going to take this, this, and this. And see that little bitty piece of land over there? That's what you get right over there. But that's not what he did. He said, he said Lot, choose. Now, the truth is, he came out way ahead of Lot, did he not? Because he did not seek his own. He, he, he was not eccentric. And, and look at this. You think about how you and I need to be the same way. Love doesn't insist on having its own way, advancing its own self. That's, that's what Lot was all about. It was all about what Lot could get out of it. But that's not true love. Henry Drummond said, there is no happiness in having or in getting. He said, there's only happiness in giving. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We're just talking about Bible love tonight. You know, there's a great description, a sketch that God gives us. And when I think about love, you, you think about the Lord Jesus. He is the prime example of this attitude in action. Look at Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. He said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus never sought something. The Bible says he didn't even have a place to lay his head. It was always about others. And the Bible tells us, Philippians 2, 3, look at this. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. He says here, look, love does not seek her own. Letter E. The next part of the sketch is this, that love is never enraged. Love is never enraged. The Bible says there in verse 5, charity is not easily provoked. It's not easily provoked. Some people, boy, it doesn't take much, does it? I'm guilty of this a lot of times in my life is how easily we can become provoked. But look, true love keeps no records of ills that has been done to it. True love is willing to endure all the slights and all the injuries. It's this characteristic of love that reminds us that love does not demand its own rights. It's willing to yield to the will of another. Jesus, again, not my will. True love only responds in anger to that which angers God. Did you hear what I said? It only responds in anger to that which angers God. All other things are handled by this matter of forgiveness through charity. Look, love is never enraged. It is not easily provoked. Letter F. Love is never evil-minded. It is never evil-minded. Here's what he says. Charity thinketh no evil. And you know what that means? That love does not nurse grudges at wrongs that is done to itself. This, this word here where it says, thinketh no evil. A lot of times we're, we're thinking English-wise, but it, let me help you understand this word here where he says, charity thinketh no evil, the phrase means to take no worthless inventory. You understand something is worthless, right? And a lot of times that's what we do is we want to take some type of an inventory, but think about this, that this type of love that he's describing here, that thinketh no evil, it is something that thinks the best of others. 
It doesn't think negative thoughts about other people. Genuine love does not dwell on what others may have done. Do you hear what I said? May have done. Many times we, we automatically, you know, you know what it's like, it's supposed to be like in a court of law, right? Innocent until proven guilty, right? But many times we're the judge and the jury and we don't even have the facts yet. <laughs> but listen, if we love, charity thinketh no evil. We must treat people with grace and forgiveness. Look at in your notes there, I think I included that for you tonight. Three things that real love does not do. Number one, it does not remember injury. Why well, don't you remember what you did to me? Don't you remember how you hurt me? Don't you remember what you said? Real love does not remember injury. Secondly, real love does not believe all that it hears about another. It doesn't believe all that it hears. Real love. Number three, real love does not look for faults in others. It's not looking for faults. You know, if we would follow this simple thing about not remembering injury and not believing all that we hear about somebody and not always looking for the faults in others, if we had that attitude and we practiced that attitude, it would probably solve about 90% of our troubles if we followed that. You see, he says here, love is never evil-minded because love thinketh no evil. But look at the first part of verse 6. He says, charity rejoiceth not in iniquity. Here's what he's saying, that love does not nurture glee at wrongs done to others. Some people just, they love it when people get in trouble. When somebody does something and bad things happen to them. And, you know, listen, love does not rejoice in sin. Love hates sin. True love doesn't gossip or rejoice when another believer falls. It hurts when that believer falls. I read this account where you've heard the names Sherlock and Holmes. And Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, they were on a camping trip. True story. After sharing a good meal, they retired to their tent for the night. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Holmes nudged Watson, and he asked him, Watson, look up into the sky and tell me what you see. And Watson said, I see millions of stars. Holmes asked, and what does that tell you? Watson replies, well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me that Saturn is in Leo. Theologically, it tells me that God is great and we are small and insignificant. Horologically, it tells me that it's about 3 a.m. Meteorology, meteorology, he says, it tells me that we have a beautiful, we're going to have a beautiful day tomorrow. He says, what does it tell you, Holmes? And Holmes replies, it tells me that someone stole our tent. Someone did not have charity. And you know, that's the way a lot of folks are is they don't have charity, but here's what I believe. 
The reason they don't have charity is because they don't understand what charity really is. You see, I love this chapter because Paul starts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, helping us understand what real love is. Love is God. And he says, listen, you've got to have that relationship. You've got to have a love for God because God already loves you. The Bible says God so loved the world. God loved us before we ever loved him. But as he moves into these verses we looked at tonight, he begins to sketch out a picture of the characteristics of love. And if he were to draw it, he's given us a great description of all the things that love is and the things that love is not. And so next week, we'll look at the tail end of this chapter. But I'll tell you, there are so many great things here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And honestly, it ought to cause you to look at this love chapter in a totally different light. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. I pray that you'd help us to understand how you're emphasizing in this chapter a love for you, but then a love for others. And Lord, I pray that we would live with that kind of love, that we would make a difference in this world for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.